Welcome to the Redeemer Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. At Redeemer, we are committed to following Jesus and connecting people to God's transforming love. To stay connected to all that's happening here, visit RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This message is from our series on Philippians 2.5 from Pastor Adam Barnett. Well, let me greet you with a good morning, and you can say it back like you are eager to get in God's Word today. Good morning. Let's turn to John. Yeah, praise the Lord. Man, what if adults, something about childlike, oh, thank you for that. We accept your challenge. Let's all try it again like our friend in the back right section. Good morning. Praise the Lord. Let's turn to John chapter 8. If you forgot your Bible uh, or don't have your Bible with you, uh, there's a red one located right underneath you in the seat back pocket. Uh, And I want to make sure if the Bible's new to you that you can find John 8 quickly. So that's page 1661. John chapter 8, page 1661. We're in an eight-week series inspired by Philippians 2.5. This is week seven out of eight. So it'll wrap up next week, and it challenges us in the way that we live uh, with one another, our attitude with one another. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. And so the context of this series, if you're anything like me, has invited a small attitude adjustment. Uh, Some of the content has made me realize there are some changes I need to make in my attitude. Or you might be able to relate to this e-card that I saw this week that says, I'm having technical difficulties with my attitude today. I apologize for any inconvenience this may cause you. Avoidance is suggested for safety, for your safety. Uh, Maybe that can describe how it gets in your home time to time. But in John chapter 8, we see one of the most powerful and unforgettable displays of Jesus' mercy. Now, your Bible and many Bibles say that this passage was not a part of the earliest manuscripts because it wasn't. But the authenticity of this story is confirmed by the fact that it's consistent, it clearly fits with the character and the ministry of Jesus that we see throughout the Gospels. So... John chapter 8, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, verse 2, at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So the Pharisees designed this entire incident as a trap to put Jesus to the test. So we have a dilemma on our hands. And yet right away we know that something is sketchy about this picture. If this woman was caught in adultery, her and the man should have been brought uh, into the temple, not just the woman. They were both busted, and they were both looking at a death sentence according to Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. It's sort of a sad reflection 
on the first century culture of Israel that they brought the woman to be judged and accused and not the man. But back to the bigger dilemma, if Jesus said, okay, let her go, they could accuse him of breaking Moses' law. But if he said, go ahead, stone the woman, he would break the Roman law because such a crime and such a sentence could only be approved in court. So the real issue here is the political motives of the accusers. I really do believe and speculate that they could care less about this young woman. In fact, they had to work pretty hard to set this scene up because according to the law, you needed two to three witnesses to observe an act of adultery in order for the death penalty to be observed. So for this scene to come together the way that it did, many scholars believe that the Pharisees arranged eyewitnesses to be present, either hidden in the bedroom or at the keyhole of the door in order to catch this woman in the act of adultery. So sort of a first century private investigation. And it worked. They caught her, or at least they thought it would work. Let's look how Jesus responds. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. This is certainly a reaction that was unexpected from the Pharisees and maybe unexpected to you as a reader. Uh, What was Jesus doing? Why did he do that? What did he write? And one answer sufficiently answers all of the questions about this moment in the scene. We don't know. We have no idea. Although in Israel they've preserved an actual 16 by 34 inch square in the dirt where they believe this took place. I'm just kidding. They did not (laughs) do that. But it is useless, it's useless to speculate what Jesus wrote in the ground, although it would be awesome. It'd be awesome if he wrote out the sins of the Pharisees. This was the moment in the scene that things started to turn. Let any one of you who is without sin to be the first to throw a stone at this woman. Suddenly, what was meant to be a legal issue is now a deeply personal moral matter. This group of proud, righteous men now find themselves on the same ground as the woman that they have accused. Their pious armor has been pierced, each one facing the depths of their own sinful nature, leveling the playing field. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus pushing back against the Pharisees Numerous occasions, for example, for example, Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So verse 9, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Why did the elders leave first? Maybe they've lived the longest and they've had more time to accumulate more sin. Or maybe it was their maturity, their sense of impending judgment in this moment, or perhaps they recognized that their sins were indeed greater 
more harmful than this young woman. Possibly they feared Jesus confronting them about their own sin, and they just wanted to avoid the embarrassment altogether. Whatever the reason, they started to leave. Now, imagine seeing this in theater. You're in this grand theater, and you're watching in silence. No dialogue, no music. The confident and critical Pharisees moments ago were pointing their finger in the face of this young woman who's been accused. They were pointing their finger at Jesus. What are you going to do, teacher? And now they silently exit, stage left or stage right, without another word. Those who were already holding stones in their hands slowly dropped them to the stage as they walk away. Think of this woman. She was prepared to feel stones hitting her back, breaking her rib cage, busting out all of her teeth. She may have suffered for 10 or 20 minutes or maybe an hour. Her likely cause of death would have been internal bleeding. But instead, the scene takes a dramatic turn. The scene takes a merciful turn. And this young accused woman, likely wiping her eyes, wiping tears off of her face, she looks up and she expects to see the faces of violent men preparing to strike her at any moment. And instead... She looks up and she sees the face of mercy, the face of compassion. Verse 10, Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. Ah, Consider how fragile this moment was. I suspect this woman was trembling with fear. Have you ever been so afraid that it's caused you to shake? I imagine she was facing that level of fear. St. Augustine wrote beautiful words about this passage. He said, even if Jesus and the woman were standing in the midst of eyewitnesses, even if it was still a crowd of women probably standing around looking at how this story unfolded, he says they are probably oblivious to anyone else among them. Only two persons remained that day, a frightened woman and the merciful Savior of the world. Now, what a relief. She's now facing a judge, but a judge that is not her enemy, a judge that loves her, a judge that is merciful. Neither do I condemn you, he says. But Jesus is not saying, I don't condemn you, so go continue in your life of sin. He's not saying, I don't uh, condemn you, so go continue to commit adultery. He doesn't minimize her sin. He doesn't cover up her sin. And I got to be very clear about this. God hates sin. God is righteousness. God hates sin. But God loves us. God loves people. And so here mercy enters the scene. Don't continue to walk in sin. 
I love you. Go leave your life of sin, not because you fear brutal, agonizing, painful death from stones pelting against your body, but because you've met God, because you've met me. That's why you ought to leave your life of sin. God hates sin, but he loves people, and his mercy should result in our transformation. I don't condemn you. But go leave your life of sin. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 couldn't be more straightforward. Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean anything to you? Can't you see his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? His kindness. I've recently been very transparent about my driving We handed out Redeemer Church stickers for your car, and as I applied the sticker to my car, I knew very well the accountability that that brings. I have to change my behavior on the road because I can hide behind my steering wheel until they look up and see Redeemer Church. And I'm just going to tell you I'm not proud sometimes of how I behave. As a driver, I tend to drive way too fast and too aggressive. I believe in signs and symbols from the Lord. I'm not superstitious, but um, just this week I was driving to Oklahoma City with Jeff, our guitar player and worship leader, and we were going to a minister's round table in Oklahoma City. My horn broke. Like, is your horn ever just broken? It's not supposed to happen unless you're somebody that needs to learn from it. So it's, you know, I get it, Lord. Um, But many years ago, I got pulled over on Highway 9 and Norman, and we've all experienced that drop in your stomach when you look in the rearview mirror and you see red lights and blue lights flashing. And as usual, I had had some practice in this. I go get my license and my registration and cross my fingers that my insurance is updated and current, and I've actually printed the current page. And I get ready. I... Roll down my window, and I hear the question I've been asked many, many times. Do you know how fast you were going? And this question really does get the best of us. It gets the best of Christians because we immediately start thinking, well, I kind of have an idea of how fast I was going, but I'm going to come up with a single-digit answer. You've all done this. Uh, Maybe eight, over, I I don't know. And then we gasp and we shake our head in disbelief when the officer says, you were going 18 over. Okay, I'm sorry. And you see him go back to his vehicle and maybe you pray. You know, if you feel far from God, maybe that's a good thing for you because you're actually talking to him. I don't know. But then he walked back to my car and I prepared to learn what damage was done and what I owed. I roll the window down again, and he hands me his license and my insurance back, and he says, here's a warning. He says, drive safe, slow down. Okay. Mercy. Sweet mercy. Mercy so sweet, you want to drive away like eight under, right? Like this is how I normally drive, very safe. A few hours later, I was driving home, and I felt a drop in my stomach again. There were flashing lights in my rearview mirror, (laughs) the blue ones and the red ones. And the officer approached my car. I rolled down the window, and I noticed it was the same man. (laughs) 
I couldn't look at him in the eye. I could feel his disappointment. I was disappointed in myself. I mean, I was very rebellious. That was defiant. He said something to me that I'll never forget. He said, I told you to go and sin no more. He didn't really say that. <laughs> but it applies to the story. He actually looked at me and said, I told you to slow down. And I said, I was so sorry. And let's just say round two that day did not end up so merciful. I got a big ticket. Thankfully, we're given this message in Scripture. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, they never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Let me read that again. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You know why his mercy shows up every morning? Because sin shows up every day, usually by brunch. It never fails. There's always the temptation to sin. Mercy treats our sin. It doesn't tolerate it. Mercy is not about being tolerant of our wrongdoing and our unrighteousness. It treats our sin. It doesn't tolerate it. Therefore, the more we taste mercy, the more we ought to be transformed. I mean, that's what mercy's all about. Taste it, and you want to transform. Taste it, and you want to transform. So let me close. I want to ask which person you relate to in John chapter 8. You know, in the context of mercy... Which person do you relate to? Today, you might be here and you might feel accused. You're an accused person. Your sin has been discovered by someone and they're making you pay for it every single day, maybe every hour. I mean, they're just rubbing it in your face, reminding you of your wrongdoing. Or your sin has been in secret for a very, very long time and our, our rival, Satan, He's using his nasty weapons of guilt and shame. I'm telling you, friend, that John 8 is a picture of something that is available to you this very moment. It is available if you stand here accused. You are invited to do a cannonball in the deep end of the pool of God's mercy. You are invited to swim around and enjoy it to take a bath in grace today. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, for those in Christ, there is no condemnation. None, uh-uh, ain't happening for the Christian. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So today, if you stand here accused, if you stand here tripped up by sin, yes, and somebody's holding it against you, or the enemy's coming at you every single hour, reminding you of what you've done, making you feel guilty, making you walk around ashamed. Let Jesus help you up today. Let him dust you off and receive that message today. I don't condemn you, so go and sin no more. Let his mercy birth in you today transformation. Let his mercy wash over you. Repent of your sin. 
Receive the mercy. Be transformed from within. It's His doing. It's His doing. It's God's grace. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not a formula. It's not 10 steps to follow. It's surrendering. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to lead from within. And so you might be here accused today. You might be here and you are an accuser. You're an accuser today. Mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone who you have the power to punish or harm. Let me read that again. Mercy is choosing compassion or forgiveness towards someone who you actually have the power to punish or to harm. Or somebody in your life is saying, they deserve this. They don't deserve your forgiveness. Walk away from it, right? Accuse them. Hold it against them. Matthew 5, 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. The Greek word in Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the eliamon, for they shall receive mercy. It means to act consistently with the revelation of God's covenant to you. So to show mercy to someone else is to act consistently with the revelation of God's covenant to you. God has been merciful to you. To you. And therefore, you ought to be merciful to another. I know many of you, great harm has been done against you. And I'm not telling you to tolerate any kind of abuse. I'm not telling you to stay in a place that's unhealthy for you. But I am inviting you to express mercy to another just as mercy has been expressed to you. Deal with other people just as God has dealt with you. When you think about it, when you think of the extent of God's forgiveness into our lives, we ought to be the least judgmental people in the world. When we think about the extent of God's love to us, we ought to be the least critical people in the world. And we think of the extent of God's mercy to us, we should be the least condemning people in the world. I mean, a Christian has no business holding a grudge. God certainly has no grudge against us. He sees our sin and he offers us redemption. And therefore, we ought to not hold a grudge toward our brother or our sister. Eliemon is the power to punish or harm someone for their wrongdoing, but choosing instead to drop your rocks. That's mercy. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. And as you do, and we prepare to worship again this morning, would you just bow your heads for a moment and just enter into a moment of prayer? Maybe a long time since you've talked to God. That's okay. Just enter into prayer now. And just in this moment of quiet, it's you and the Lord. I want you to search your heart and ask, Am I living my life as an accused person? Am I living my life with a constant awareness of my unrighteousness and my mistakes because the enemy is coming at me with his weapons of guilt, shame, condemnation? He's saying you're not good enough, you're not lovable, 
Look what you've done. If that's you today, would you receive this? There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I'm speaking that over your life today, even if it's hard for you to believe. I'm speaking this over you. There is no, no condemnation. The blood of Jesus is your righteousness. If you're in Christ, he looks at you and he sees his child. And he loves you. So the lies of the enemy, just cast them back to the pit of hell where they belong and receive your identity in Christ today. And that's that you are a royal priesthood, chosen, holy, beloved people. Walk out of here free today. I speak over you today that the chains that have made it hard for you to walk, the guilt and the shame, the condemnation, that those chains are broken in the name of Jesus today that you don't have to stand on the end of the high dive any longer, not a day longer. You don't have to stand there and look at that pool of God's mercy and say, I I wish I could get some of that. But the chains are falling off today and you're jumping. You're jumping. And you're going to swim around in it and be a new person. You're not leaving here accused. You're leaving here righteous because of the blood of Christ. And if you are here today and you, in this moment between you and God, sense that you are the accuser, I'm speaking Eliamon over your life today. Mercy. You don't have to tolerate someone's sin against you, but today could be the day that you choose to be merciful, just as God has been merciful with you. Friend, Drop the rock. Don't hold it. Trust the judgment of God, not your own. Scripture says don't seek revenge, but submit. Submit it to the Lord and trust him instead. As we worship, as you reach out to God today, maybe in order to reach out, you've got to let go of the rock that you've held on to for so long towards someone in your life. Only God knows, but my friends, listen to him. He's speaking, listen to him.